Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. So I, I normally start out with a funny story about my family, but today I kind of want to like poke a little fun at myself to start out with. You, you, you can look at me and see that I'm a, a normal looking guy, right? Well, uh, I was not always a normal looking guy at all. Uh, I've been through some very... Uh, interesting stages in my life. Uh, when I was in middle school back in the mid-90s, uh, I was a skateboarder. I was a Woo! skateboard punk, you know. I, I, was, I was trying to grow my hair out long, but I wasn't there yet, so it was kind of in that really awkward stage where it's just, you know, it looks really weird. Uh, I I took pride in having shoes that were falling apart, you know, because, you know, I'm a skateboarder. I'm edgy, you know. We were listening to, to <laughs> punk, punk rock music all the time. Um, I say I was a skateboarder. I, I skateboarded very little. <laughs> I, I owned a skateboard. But uh, I moved on from the skateboarding stage, and I kind of went into what I want to call my goth stage, you know. I, 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 I didn't really wear makeup, per se, you know. I wasn't white-faced, but uh, everything that I wore was black, and, uh, you know, you had chains everywhere for no apparent reason, and uh, uh, we, uh, we, we listened to hardcore music. We put X's on our... On our uh, on our hands because we were straight edge, you know, we were cool. Uh, but then, you know, as I got into high school, I, I kind of shifted out of that and I entered into a hip hop stage. And uh, th- thankfully, thankfully, I, I didn't spend a whole lot of money on, on, the, on the clothing, but, uh, but I listened to rap music all the time. And I don't know if you listen to rap stations, they play the same seven songs every hour. It's just on a loop, you know. Uh, but that's what all my friends were into, so that's, that's, what, I, that's what I was into. After I graduated high school, I kind of I kind of moved into this really NASCAR redneck stage where uh, <laughs> where I I cut all the sleeves off of all my T-shirts <laughs> and uh, and I I had that big racing jacket you know the one with all the patches on it and everything um, yeah <laughs> uh, I got really into NASCAR for a little while you know. Um, and I moved on from there when I was uh, in my early 20s into more of a hippie stage. We were going to all these music festivals. I had one shirt that I wore over and over and over again. My hygiene was absolutely terrible, you know. Um, but I'm so grateful that now I've found who I am. I'm so grateful that I don't have to change with every new wind that comes through. I'm so grateful that the Lord has come into my life and shown me who He created me to be. And when you look at everything around you to identify you, then you're never going to know who you truly are. And when you don't have your true identity, you're not able to accomplish the purposes, the plans that the Lord has put on your life. Uh, and it's more than just what you wear. It's the people that you associate with, too. The people that you associate with identify you. And if you look at the people, at things, at stuff to identify you, then you never, ever will grasp that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God. The understanding the you is vital, the real you is vital for your leadership responsibility that you have. Now, you say, might say, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. If you have the hope of glory in you, you're a leader to wherever you go. You're a leader to your family. You're a leader to your workplace. You're a leader to your community. And you have to know who you are in order to accomplish that leadership responsibility that's on you. 
Now, today, we're talking about your true identity and your true identity being found in Jesus and realizing what that really means. So I'm calling my message today, He is and you are. Can you say that with me? He is and you are. So let's say it. Let's make it personal. He is and I am. He is and I am. So we're in the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. So this is my favorite book of the Bible. This is a... When anybody asks me what, what, what do I read more than anything, I read the book of Colossians over and over again uh, because Paul, in this book, was discussing who Jesus really is. He was discussing really what Jesus was. He was distru- discussing that Jesus is truly over everything. But it's even deeper than that. He was discussing that God, the full person of God, is in Jesus and that you are in Jesus. So the Lord has been taking me on this journey, and, and it's a, a journey of understanding who I am by understanding who He is. And it's this verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, eight through 10, that has been like the, the cornerstone of that. I, I used to write this verse on a note card and tape it above the, the, above the toilet in my bathroom so uh, that every time I went in there, I would read this verse. Uh, my old roommate's here. He can attest to that. So we're in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10, and we're going to start. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men and not according to Christ. For in him, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, the way that I see it in this verse, there's four keys to understanding who you are, understanding your true identity. Number one, it's beware of identity found from the world. Number two is uh, God's complete identity is important. Number three, you are complete in the body of Christ. And number four, your true identity is a reflection of Jesus. So we're talking about number one, beware of identity found from the world. It says in the verse, it says beware. I always say uh, if it tells me to beware, it's probably telling me where I need to be. So it says beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men and not according to Christ. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men and not according to Christ. As a person, as a human, especially in America, billions of dollars are spent trying to get you to say, oh, I need this. Billions of dollars are spent in advertising trying to say, this is what's going to make you complete. This is what's going to make you happy. This is what's going to make you successful. We see, just think, of, just think of in one day all the advertising that you're exposed to. We get advertising for cars, for movies, for uh, alcohol, workout systems, vacations, colleges, beauty products, restaurants, uh, self-help systems, cell phones, dating services. In one day, you're exposed to all that. Billions of dollars are trying to get you to say, I need their product because that's going to make me happy. Uh, one of our professors at, uh, at Christ for the Nations, he used to always say something, and he says, we spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need. 
And that's true. That's true. We, we, we go into debt because we think that, that, uh, that this is going to make us, uh, that this is really going to complete us. One of, the, one of the best advertising campaigns ever was, uh, was the shampoo company wanted to increase their sales, so they put one word on their bottle that increased their sales, and that one word is repeat. You know, and people began to read that, and it says lather, rinse, repeat. And so they doubled their shampoo sales. The world is shoving success. What is, what is success right down your face? And it's trying to tell you what's going to make you complete. But stuff will never satisfy you. And I'll say that people will never satisfy you. And if you embrace that lie, if you embrace the fact, the thought that stuff and people are going to make me happy, then you're never going to be open to what God is really telling you is going to make you complete. Paul told the Colossians that they needed to beware. And I, I, don't really, I don't really know exactly what he was telling them to beware, but I, I think that we can kind of get a picture if we look at a different book, if we look at Philippians. And uh, in Philippians chapter 3, it uh, starts in verse 4. I'm just going to read it. It says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul had everything that, that his culture told him he needed. He was, uh, he was uh, a wealthy man. He was trained by the best, uh, by the best teachers. He, he, was, uh, you know, he had a profession. He was... He had everything. He had everything. But he goes on to say, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Paul said everything that he had, everything that he worked for, everything that he had achieved was rubbish that he may know Christ, that he may know Christ. I might not, we might not know exactly what the basic principles of Paul's world were, but we do know what the basic principles of our world is, and it's more. You need more. You need more. You need more. And that's not according to what Christ has given us. Jesus himself told us what life really should be about. John 17, 3. Now, these are red-letter words. This is Jesus speaking here. These are com- words coming out of his mouth that's recorded in Scripture. It says, John 17, 3. It says, and this is eternal life. When it says that, you say, okay, so this is, this is what life is about. This is eternal life. He's about to tell us. He says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That's what it's about, knowing God, knowing God. So, on our journey of understanding our identity, we can't embrace what the world tells us our identity is. But we move on and we see the second point is that God's complete identity is important. The verse says in Colossians, it says, He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Saying, He, as in Jesus, is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, we know that God... Is great. We we say that saying all the time. We say, "Oh, God's so vast," you know, and that is true. 
That is 100% true. But do you really understand what you're saying when you say that? Uh, we see so many different sides of God all throughout Scripture. Uh, in Genesis, we see God creating Adam. Now, the way I see it, that's a motherly quality of God. I'm a man. I can't create new life. But that's God. That's God being a mother. But we also see God, when he's dealing with Abraham, God says, you are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That's a fatherly aspect of God. I see creation as a motherly aspect of God, but provision as a fatherly aspect of God. We see God welcoming Israel time and time again. Every time they turn their back, but they come back to the Lord, he welcomes them back. But he also tells uh, the Israelites that they need to wipe out their enemies from the face of the earth, that no one is left. So we see God being welcoming, but we also see God being very tough. Everything about God is not apparent at all times. You cannot see the fullness of who God is uh, at, at any one point in time in your life. The fullness of who God is is revealed to us all throughout Scripture, not just in one particular verse, not just in one particular chapter. I went through a uh, discipleship program called Teen Challenge. It's a, um, it's a residential discipleship program for people with drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, the one that I went through, you go and you live there for a year, uh, and you go and you basically give up everything about who you are, and you say, my life is awful. I don't know how to live my life, so please teach me how to live life. And so you get there, you give over your cell phone, you, uh, you, you don't get to carry any money, you live there, and they shove Jesus down your throat, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Before you even uh, get to eat breakfast, you have to be shaven, your bed has to be made, your shoes have to be in a nice line up underneath your bed, and before you even eat breakfast. Now, when you get there, uh, you're assigned a, a pastoral counselor. It's a staff member who's there to kind of be with you along this journey and teach you, and, and, and when you get there, they don't tell you who your pastoral counselor is right away. So I got there, and man, I was I was skin up. I was white as this sheet of paper right here. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had I had nothing going on for me, and uh, I came right out of jail. So I I didn't have anything. I I had I had the the pair of drawers that I was wearing, and that was it, you know. And so you can't use the phone. So I had to write my mother a letter and say, Mother, please send. Supplies. I, I'm. I'm really. I'm really hurting here, and uh, and you can't. You can't just send it in the mail. You have to give it to this to one of these pastoral counselors uh, in order to uh, for them to read it and make sure it's all good. So there was one guy in this. One guy that worked there. One pastoral counselor, and his name is Brother Eric. Now, my first interaction with Brother Eric on my very first day was Brother Eric telling me, "You can't talk in the hallway," and then that night. We were at prayer, and Brother Eric is... Now, I've had no exposure to church at all at this point in time. So we're at prayer that night, and he's walking around praying in tongues super loud. And I just... I was like, man, this guy is crazy. I, you know, he's just a, a jerk. But so I, I have my letter saying, Mom, please send supplies. And, uh, and I go to Brother Eric's office. I say, Brother Eric, I, uh, I don't know who my pastoral counselor is to give this to... Uh, but I really need to send it out. And he goes, well, I've been meaning to talk to you. I'm your pastoral counselor. And, uh, and my heart just sank. <laughs> I mean, uh, it took all the wind out of my sails. 
Um, but let me tell you what. Brother Eric, I grew to know that guy. Man, I, yes, I was disciplined by Brother Eric a lot. But you know what else Brother Eric did for me? He prayed with me. He cried with me. And he invited me to be a part of his family. You know, I couldn't leave the center so because I, I was in so much trouble, but he would invite me over to his house on Saturday, and he'd tell me, you're part of my family today. You know, not everybody who was there at that center got to see that side of Brother Eric. And when you're in your walk with the Lord, not everyone is going to see the Lord in the same way that you see him. But God is so vast that you can't possibly grasp the fullness of who God is at any point in time. Uh, But I will tell you how to begin. You begin by looking at Jesus. Because everything that God was, he put in Jesus and put a body around him and sent him to earth to walk with us. God, that's, that's who God is. It says that Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus was everything that God is, and Jesus walked here on the earth. We can see in Jesus that Jesus was a loving guy. But you know what we also see in Jesus? That he disciplined people. We can see that Jesus gave guidance. But you know what else he did? (laughs) He rebuked. He rebuked. We can see that Jesus was a father, but you know what else he was? He was a Lord, and he was king. And, And just like in anything, if we only look at one piece and we put that to an extreme, then we get really off track. Now, I just want to make an example here, is that I believe that Jesus is full of grace. I think that there is nothing. The scripture says that there's nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of God. But if I just look at that, that that is not how God has called me to live my life. Because even though Jesus is full of grace, he's also Lord. And that determines how I live my life. So the fullness of who God is, the fullness of God's identity is expressed in Jesus. And you're going to understand why that's important in just a minute. So we go on to point number three, and it is, you are complete in the body of Christ. It says that you are complete in Him. Uh, Understanding who you are, understanding your identity is as much as knowing who you are as it's knowing who you're not. See, y'all don't know this about me, y'all might not know this about me, but I don't work with computers very well. I don't, I, I don't technology at all, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't play music. You don't see me up there. I, that is, that's just not who I am. But you know what I do? do? I fry chicken. Uh, I, I, I can cook collard greens. I can cook macaroni and cheese. I, if I look at a recipe and I read through the recipe, just about anything that I look and I read through, I can make it. But I know that I'm not a video editor. I know that I'm not a musician. I know who I am. And it's okay that I'm not those things because I have people in my life who are those things. And it's okay that you might not be everything because God has placed people in your life, in the body of Christ, who are those things. Uh, I know my identity and my purposes, and although some may be similar to yours, we're not all the same. And even though we might have the same goals, we don't all uh, go around the same way to accomplish them either. But that's okay because God, God has put us in a body to fill in the gaps. It says in Romans chapter 12, it says, For as we have many members in one body, 
but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then it goes, and he says again, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. When Jesus died on a cross, he did more for you than just salvation. Jesus died so that you could be adopted. Jesus died so that you're no longer an orphan, but now you're a part of a body. And he made a way for you to be accepted into a family, the body of Christ. And that in itself is identity enough. That in itself is identity enough. But beyond that, it frees you to be who God created you to be. And it also frees you to be, to not be who God didn't create you to be. Now, I, before I even got saved, I heard people always say, oh, don't, don't ever pray to God, please don't send me to Africa, because he might just send you to Africa. That's stupid. <laughs> that's, so, that's so dumb. And if you said that before, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I don't mean to be rude, but that, I, that, I just don't understand that. God created people to be missionaries to Africa. God created that, that God put that inside people. You know, I want to go back to a small town. I'm not, a, I'm not a city boy. I like, I like the small town, but that's who God created me to be. Some people couldn't imagine being, being away from the city. They, they, they couldn't handle it. That's okay. That's who God created you to be. But you know what? I will be there living for Jesus in a small town, and you'll be here living for Jesus in the big city. <laughs> because we're all part of one body, and we're complete in the body of Christ. So now my last reality my last key to identifying who you are in jesus is this is your true identity is a reflection of jesus when we get saved a lot of things change about us when i before i was saved i was depressed i had no joy i was awful to be around if yeah if you didn't have something that i could that i that that would help me in any way i didn't want anything to do with you but uh after i got saved my life and my personality changed so much uh i began to understand who i truly was i began to laugh a lot i laugh a lot i laugh at my own jokes a lot because i'm hilarious y'all just don't realize it but um I began to truly care about people in a way that I'd never done before. Um, but there's some things that didn't change about me. You know, I, I suddenly did not begin to prophesy over everybody. I, uh, I didn't uh, all of a sudden become, you know, uh, great at, at children's church. I didn't become a, a great children's pastor, you know, because God began to show me exactly who I was and exactly what I was created for. Because Jesus is the fullness of God, because Jesus is everything who God is, every part of the body of Christ is evident in Jesus. Jesus was an apostle. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a pastor, a teacher, and an evangelist. But he was also a mother and a father. He was also a full-time minister, a full-time devoted to the ministry, but he also represented the, the workers, the people who worked for a living. Uh, he uh, he was stern at times, but he was also super lighthearted. Uh, he was an extrovert, willing to able to strike up a conversation with anybody. But he's also an introverted and enjoyed his solitude. Uh, 
who you truly are is a reflection of Jesus. Because Scripture tells us that when you give a heart, your heart to the Lord, that it's no longer your life that you're living, but it's Jesus' life. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I, I memorized this verse, and I used to run. I don't really run so much anymore, but I used to run, and I would say this verse over and over and over and over again. It says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God made Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for you, that you could be the righteousness of God in him. And it says in, uh, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for, you, for me. Your life is no longer your own. It's, it's Jesus' life being played out in you. And I know that sounds tough. I know that sounds like a lot. Okay, my life is Jesus' life being played out in me. But let me tell you, you're not the fullness of God. You're one piece of Jesus' of Jesus's, uh, personality. And you don't have to be everything that God is. You're part of his body. That's what makes us complete. But you have to be who God created you to be, and it's a reflection of Jesus. Your true identity is, found, is not found in anything other than what Jesus created you to do. And then I, Pastor Josh always has one quotable quote up there, and this is my quotable quote right here. The only way you will truly know who you are is by seeing who Jesus is in you. Who is Jesus in you? Is Jesus a mother in you? Is Jesus a father in you? Is Jesus a pastor in you? Or is Jesus a worship leader in you? Is Jesus a prophet in you? Is Jesus a businessman in you? Is Jesus a full-time minister in you? Who is Jesus in you? When we look at ourselves, we should be looking at the reflection of Jesus. Not the full thing. You're not responsible for everything. You're just responsible for the one piece that God has created you to be. So, that's my sermon. But now let me speak to your hearts. Okay, I've done. I've, I've preached my homiletical sermon, but now let me speak to your heart. Okay, if we're if we're a reflection of Jesus, then we're looking in a mirror. But unfortunately, not every believer is looking in the right kind of mirror. Not every mirror that we're looking in is accurate. And. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And I want to talk about four kinds of mirrors that, that you may be looking into. That may affect you seeing Jesus in your life. So, for each of these, I'm going to tell you what it is, I'm going to tell you the danger, and I'm going to tell you the solution. So, I'm not preaching to your brains right now. I want to preach to your heart. I want to preach to your heart, and I want you to say to yourself, am I one of these? Is this how I see Jesus in my life? So, the first one is the HD mirror, and after I sent these notes to Pastor Josh, I thought about a much better, ti- much better title of this one. I'm going to call this one the zoomed-in mirror. Okay? The zoomed-in mirror. So, what is it? Well, when you're looking in a zoomed-in mirror, you're looking at one aspect of who you are. You're not looking at the whole picture. 
and you're mostly looking at the one thing that you don't like about yourself. This is you looking at yourself and saying, I don't like my nose. I don't like my nose. It's just, if my nose was just smaller, I think that I would be really attractive. I, I, I'm not talking about myself because I'm beautiful. I, but, you know, but, uh, but uh, in, in the natural, that's what it is. In the spiritual, it's you're saying, I wish that I was this person. I don't like the fact that I can't preach like Pastor Josh. I don't like the fact that I can't lead worship by Pastor Nathan and Pastor Leslie. I don't like the fact that I'm not as, uh, as great a children's pastor as Pastor Jen. You're not looking at the whole picture. You're just looking at the deficiency in your life. So here's the danger of that. The danger is that you're not focusing on your strengths. You're focusing on your weaknesses. The danger is that you're not focusing on who Jesus is in your life, but you're focusing on who Jesus is not in your life. And you'll never, ever be great at what God has created you to be great at if you always think, I wish I was better at that. So here's the solution. What's the solution? You have to zoom out. You have to look at yourself in a much bigger picture. You have to look at yourself and say, okay, I might not like my nose, but man, the rest of this is, is doing real good right now. Uh, I, I, I may not be able to sing, but you know what I can do? I, man, I can love people. I, I, can, I, can be, I can be a real friend. You know, you stop looking at the thing that you're deficient in, and you begin to look at the things that Jesus is in you. So the second kind of mirror that a believer may be looking at is a funhouse mirror. So we've all been to the carnival and been at these things. It's the funhouse mirror. I'm pretty sure the way that they get them is they bend the glass, you know, and it's, you either look like really short and round or you look really tall and thin. And, um, and you're, it's not a true view of who, who you are. It's a very skewed view of who you are. Um, it's, you're either, what, what this is in your spiritual life is you're looking at yourself and you say, I'm either, I'm either really awful, I'm terrible, I'm just, look at me, I'm so, so bad. Or you look at yourself, look how great I am. I have arrived. You know, I am God's gift to the world. You know, um, and you're either looking at yourself and saying that you're worthless or you're looking at yourself and believing that you're much better than you truly are. So what's the danger in this? The danger is that you stop working on yourself when you're looking at this mirror. You either say, oh, I'm so terrible, I'll never, ever amount to anything, or you say, I'm so great, I don't need to work on myself, I'm perfect, this is the way I am. So what's the solution? With one of these mirrors, you're never going to get a true reflection in your life. You have to allow an outside view to look at you. You have to look at, 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 let somebody speak into your life. This is tough because you have to be open with people and tell them exactly how you feel about yourself. Tell them exactly what you see about yourself. It's also tough because we don't like to receive correction. We don't like people to tell us that we're wrong. But if you're looking at yourself in this kind of mirror and you don't let somebody tell you that you're wrong, you're, gonna, you're, on, you're on your way to destruction. So... The next mirror I want to talk about is a broken mirror. So 
This is a mirror that's been damaged by something in the past. Something has happened to this mirror, and now it doesn't reflect properly. Uh, it may be that you've had a traumatic event. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe your father didn't love you. Or maybe you've done something yourself, and you're looking at this mirror, and all you can see is a broken reflection of yourself. I did something, or something was done to me, and now I'm worthless. So what's the danger? Well, beyond just not being able to make heads or tails of what you're looking at, uh, a broken mirror is dangerous. You can really hurt yourself when you're looking at a broken mirror. You can hurt yourself emotionally, physically, mentally. And I tell you this, a broken mirror can hurt people around you too. Do you, ever, do, you, do you realize that if you have a bad perception of yourself, you begin to affect the people around you? And I'd say that this is maybe one of the most dangerous mirrors right here. Because you're, because you're, you're really, really, and it, just, it doesn't just affect you, it affects those that you love, it affects those that are around you. So what's the solution? The solution is you have to have somebody to fix the mirror. You have to have somebody to come in and begin to put pieces back together for you. Jesus has mirror fixers in his body. Trust me. He's got mirror fixers in his body. And ultimately, it's Jesus fixing your perception of yourself. It's Jesus healing your past works. But he does it through people. He does it through pastors and counselors. He does it through friends. He does it through your parents. He does it through your children. And at first, fixing these kind of mirrors is tough. Because you got to figure out exactly where the pieces go. But once you begin to work on these, then pieces begin to fall in place, and it becomes easier and easier. And then you're, then, you're, then you're really beginning to see yourself as the way that God sees you. But you have to let someone come into your life to fix your mirror. So the last kind of wrong mirror that, uh, that we're talking about is the smudged mirror. So, this is a mirror that uh, you can't see in really well because it's dirty. Uh, it may have just started at the edges, but dirt attracts dirt. It creeps in, and, be, and it begins to get over the whole thing, and you can't begin to see yourself. This is sin in your life. This is sin in your life. The sin, a sin in your life will affect how you truly see yourself in Jesus. He might have created you to be a pastor, an evangelist, or whatever it is that God created you to be. But because you can't see yourself as that, because the mirror is darkened by sin. So what's the danger with this mirror? Well, I'd say the danger with this mirror is that dirt attracts more dirt. You know? And sin will always lead to more sin. Sin will always grow and reproduce itself. So what's the solution? You got to get rid of the sin in your life. You got to get rid of the sin in your life. And let me tell you, sometimes things are tough to clean. Sometimes it takes a little elbow grease. When we would be washing pots at Teen Challenge and they would burn something, they, uh, a lot of guys would be like, oh, we just need to soak that pot overnight. You know, I'm like, that won't do nothing. The only way that this pot is going to get clean is if you put your elbow grease into it the only way that you're going to get sin out of your life is for you to fight against that sin in your life 
there's a verse, and now uh, I never remember the reference. It's in Hebrew somewhere. But whenever I feel myself struggling, uh, wanting to sin, I say, I say this verse over myself. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. I say that over myself. I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're right. I, I can resist a little bit more. I, I, I've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So all that are the wrong mirrors. All that are the bad perceptions of yourself. But there's, a, there's another mirror. This is the true mirror. This is, what, this is what you really are looking at. This is when you look at yourself and you see Jesus reflected as yourself. Now, when I look into a mirror, I can see myself. I might not always like what I see exactly, but you know what? I can work on that. I might not like my big old belly, but I can work on that. And when you look into yourself and you see yourself, the things that you don't like, you can work on it. You might not be a great pastor, but you want to be. So you work on it. You might not be a great, uh, you might not be a great uh, coworker. You might not be a great friend, but you can work on that. It takes diet, a diet of the word, other than a diet, you know, of the world. It takes exercise. Instead of being lazy, you have to exercise the discipline of prayer in your life. But it's still a reflection. I'm still me, whether I'm 250 or whether I'm 195. I'm me. I'm who God's created me to be. I'm still, when I look into that mirror, I still see a reflection of myself. When you look into the mirror, are you seeing Jesus? Are you seeing the part of Jesus that God created you to be? Because knowing your identity is knowing Jesus in you. Knowing who you are is knowing who Jesus is in you.